Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast. My name is Mike Invina, and thank you for hanging out with me today. Today, my guest is Anton DeLost, and if you're not familiar with Anton, Anton is a producer, mixer, engineer, writer. He recently moved to Los Angeles, but for many years, he was running a studio out of Toronto with actually one of the very first guests on the Master Mix podcast, Sam Goyana. And Anton has done a lot of great work. He's worked with artists like Silverstein, State Champs, Hawthorne Heights, Seaway, and a whole bunch more. And in this conversation, we have a really interesting chat covering a lot of new things that we haven't talked about on the podcast before, especially on the topic of writing music with other artists and doing co-writes. And ultimately, when you listen to this interview, one theme that you're going to see come up time and time again is this idea of constantly serving the song. And however you get there, you get there. But it's all about collaborating and trying different ideas and seeing what works and, you know trying new things, stripping things down, whatever it takes. It does seem like Anton is a very hands-on producer. And in this conversation, he just brings a really refreshing, honest look at what the role of a producer is and how to work with artists, collaborate with them, and ultimately grow the careers of everyone involved in a project. So yeah, I think you're going to find this conversation very, very fascinating. And I think there's a ton of great stuff to learn in this. So let's just jump right into it. Anton DeLoss, thank you so much for being on the Master Your Mix podcast. What's going on, man? Oh, not much, man. Just uh, working away. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course. Pleasure. For people who might not know you or aren't familiar with the work you do, can you give us a little bit of that background on who you are, what you do, how you got into all this stuff? Uh, Sure. Yeah. So I'm a writer, producer, mixer, engineer, I guess. Um, These days, you kind of just have to wear all the hats. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I grew up in, in London, Ontario, uh, moved to Toronto about eight years ago. And just recently, like five months ago, moved to, to LA. And, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I have a a studio out of my, out of my house here in in LA and, um, and work full time in, in music and yeah, I love it. Awesome. How did you get into the production side of things to begin with? Oh man, from a very, very young age, like six, I, I sang at a family friend's wedding. Um, I just like realized I, you know, music was in my blood very early on. And I was like, I want to sing at this wedding. (laughs) And, uh, and my mom was like, okay, you can ask, but it's, I doubt it's going to happen. Don't get your hopes up. And she was like, oh my God, of course, like come up and sing a couple songs. So I sang some songs I learned in, uh, you know, whatever school, what, 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 when you're six, what school are you in? Kindergarten? Like elementary school? Something like that. Yeah. Before that, but yeah, six is six is probably kindergarten. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, anyways, I got off the stage and I was like, wow, I'm going to do this forever for sure. Um, in some capacity. So since, since then I was like, like my sights were set on music and like nothing was like, there was like things that sort of crept in, like I wanted, you know, there was a time where I wanted to be a pro skater and there was a time where I wanted to be, you know, um, I, I was, I did, uh, MMA for a while and I was like, Oh, maybe I can, you know, really start getting into that. And there was like these things that sort of crept in, but it was always like music was always there and started playing in bands, 
uh, early high school and um, actually early elementary school, but really seriously in, in high school, like grade nine. And, uh, and then I realized that like nobody really had like affordable, like means for recording in, in, in the London area. Um, it was all like pretty big studios or big for us at the time. And it was like, no, like sort of young local bands could really get into, you know, make a decent sounding EP or record or whatever. And I was like, I, my dad was helping me with, with recording my own band on like a four track, uh, you know, cassette. I think it was like a Fostex four track cassette uh, recorder. And I would like put it into uh, Sony Vegas. It was this video production program. Yep. And I would like edit the, the audio on that. And like, you know, you know when it, in, in that, I want to, don't want to date myself, but like in that day and age, it was like digital stuff was like, at least for me, I knew, obviously I never grew up with tape, but, um, there was like the, those like smaller, uh, digital recorders, like the boss units and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. They were still really common and it wasn't like super common for everybody to have a dog kind of thing. So I, I had to like learn on like different things. And anyways, I was sort of getting that down. I graduated to like a eight track digital recorder. So you'd put in like a disc or something. I can't remember actually what you recorded onto, but those, those types of things. And I, I found that I could actually like record like, okay. Sound like I could actually hear, you know, <laughs> what we were recording. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, maybe I'll start trying. I just had this idea. I went to my dad and I was like, this was at 14, 15 went to my dad and I was like, I think we should start recording, like just trying to record some local bands. And it was like all metal bands at the time. And metal bands are hard to record even with the technology today and you know what everybody knows today, but when you're 14 and have no idea about recording metal is like, especially hard to record because of double kicks and terrible players <laughs> and, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Um, Super saturated guitars and all that. Yeah. yeah just like stuff where like you kind of really have to know, I mean, now it's different because like pl- you literally open a plugin and it's like the perfect guitar sound. Yeah. And then, you know, you sample everything and it's like pretty not, I'm not saying it's easy to make it sound great, but it's like, much easier to make it sound great um (laughs) nowadays but yeah at the time i was just i was i sort of took a shot in the dark there and i was like maybe that's like a little side gig i can do um yeah i started doing that and uh found that i i think i was like one of the only ones in in the london scene that was that was doing it i mean i was charging nothing just you know trying to get something under, under my belt kind of thing and then did that sort of through high school while primarily working on my own band. I really wanted us to, you know, get somewhere, which we never did, but, um, which I don't regret loved everything we did. And, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that, that my life has taken this path. So, uh, but yeah, just, uh, fell, fell in love with producing. And, and at the time it was very much like over time, I felt like I've really fallen out of love with engineering and way more in love with producing. Um, and I know the two sort of go hand in hand a lot. Uh, like I was saying, you sort of have to wear all, all the hats today, but yeah, I feel like the less I can think about, you know, plugging things in and getting, a, you know, making sure things are in phase and wiring up a certain, like, you know, signal path so that I, I have a, you know, I have multiple outputs or just like figure, you know, uh, 
solving problems, like that kind of stuff. It, it doesn't do anything for me. Like I, I, I just want to like create great music. And so when I have like stuff that's like stopping my, my creative flow, it really, it sort of, it sucks the life out of like making music for me. And I know that's like that. And I'm not bashing that at all. Like some people are so ridiculously good at, at that. We had an intern at our studio, um, six or seven years ago who out engineered us every day of the week. He was so phenomenal at problem solving and thinking three steps ahead. And, um, was also a great producer and musician as well, but his, I think it really, his strength was, was just like knowing signal flow so ridiculously well that that's, that's really what you, you look for in an engineer. And like, I think my brain, like it works that way because it's, because I've done it for so long, but I, I don't really think of, you know, whenever I have to plug, whenever I have to plug in a, in a compressor, I'm like, Ugh, just like click a plug. In. I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather just like do the, the quickest, most convenient, most creative thing in the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and yeah, before, you know, early on, I was like, I loved it all. I loved, I loved learning signal flow in school and I loved being able to problem solve and know how a console works and know how to patch this and this and all that kind of stuff. And now it's just like, I just want to make an amazing song, take all that other stuff out of it. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. It's like, I feel like in some ways, you know, the technology has made things way more accessible and work Mm -hmm. faster and more creative in this and that, but it also kind of, uh, eliminated expertise in a certain way. You know, it's like now we all have to kind of be the jack of all trades and know the engineering and the production side of things and the editing and this and that. But like back in the day, it was like there was a producer, there was an engineer, there was like, you know, tape operator. Like there were all these like specialized tasks and like you had a team of people that were really fucking good at it. And when you had that team together, you got amazing results. And now it's like, yeah, like, you know, to see like what you're saying there, I agree with you. It's like sometimes you you want to do the thing you love the most, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like all these other things are just getting in the way, but it's kind of this unfortunate byproduct of uh, the technology that we have now, I guess. Right. Yeah. And it's just the way, it's just the way industries go. Like jobs change over time. Right. Like I, I mean, I got it. I don't want to open up this can of worms, but like with AI, you know, there's this massive conversation now, you know, you know how it's going to be, detrimental to music or any industry or but also how it's going to be you know positive going for and how you know how how you can use it creatively and um but the pros and cons of it kind of thing and and i think like again this is a this is a a massive conversation (laughs) i'm opening up which i don't think i want to right now early in this conversation (laughs) but uh (laughs) but in in the same vein of like you can you know, there's, there's things that it's, it's slightly destructive, or I guess it is pretty destructive to, or disruptive, I should say to certain, um, certain jobs and that kind of thing, but it also creates um, so many other opportunities and so many other jobs. So it's, it's just like any industry where like, you know, jobs over time sort of ebb and flow and they like morph into different things. And like, yeah, nowadays, like, I think there, there's certain things that obviously a tape op is sort of you know, obsolete. I mean, you, you'll have pro tools ops, but like generally the engineer can do that or the producer can do that or, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's important to, I'm, I'm just glad. And obviously most people in the industry did start as musicians, but I'm, I'm glad that I, I got a decent amount of experience, like as a touring musician and, and recording, um, you know, on, on that end of things, because 
I think it's really important to know as the, as the client or as the musician, like how one, how you're being treated by the, the producer or mixer, or, but also like, you know, what it, the, the mental mindset that you're, that you can be in while you're like tracking. Um, it can be stressful. It can be frustrating. It could be whatever. So, you know, I find myself every now and then I'll get frustrated with, with an artist for whatever, and not, not frustrated, but more like, you know, I can, I can hear in my voice that like, they can hear that I'm slightly, you know, frustrated or whatever it is. And like, that's the last thing I want to happen because they need to be in, they need to feel comfortable. They need to feel like they're doing a good job while still, um, you know, knowing that they can do better. And it's not, it's not like a, like a bad thing that they're not getting the take. It's, it's more of just like a constructive thing. Like we, we can get there, but don't feel bad that you're not getting it kind of thing. And that's one of those, one of those things that we're, when you're, where, when you haven't been on the other side of it, it's easy to sort of neglect their, their mental state at that For sure. moment in time. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's just nice to be able to at least understand all the different facets of the industry, I guess, you know, I think that that applies to like any business really. It's like, we're, we're providing customer service to people. And like, you know, I, I know that like people, people in the music industry don't like to talk about people like their clients. Cause it sounds like so, so formal and businessy, but it's like, they, yeah. they are, you know, and it's at the end of the day, it's like, if you, if you treat your, your studio and your productions as a business, then like, think about how a business would be like they, they, they care about their customers. They analyze like, you know, what's the experience like for somebody. And that's the kind of stuff that, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. some, some do. Yeah. But it's like, but it's like that creating that positive experience for people is really what keeps people coming back and, and happy and spreading the word of mouth and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, so many people say that like, you know, the best way to get business is through word of mouth and in, in the music industry. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can't get word of mouth unless you create a positive experience for people to want to spread the word of mouth. Oh, hundred percent. That's why like my brain isn't in engineering mode. It's in like, I mean, a lot of the time it's in therapy mode. It's like, how do I, how do I maintain a really good vibe here? And how do I get the most out of this person emotionally and, and mentally? And, um, I think I'd rather that 10, 10 times out of 10 over an amazing studio and with, with amazing engineering chops, because we, you know, we've, we've all heard amazing records that, that connect emotionally so well with people that aren't, that don't sound amazing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so some of my favorite, well, one of my favorite all time favorite records is silent alarm by block party. And not that it doesn't, I mean, it's just, it's lo-fi, but it's lo-fi on, on purpose. And I mean, the producer is massive. He knows what he's doing. Um, but like when you, when you listen to that record, technically it's like, there's, there's stuff all over Like the drums sort of sound like they're, they're like, you're hitting boxes. Like it, it doesn't sound like good per se, but if it sounded any better or if it sound if the performances were any different, it would sound inferior to what it, it, it does. It's just, it's the perfect thing. So I think like no matter what you're going for, you just have to get that perfect thing. Um, and you can always tell, you know, everybody's different too. If, if you're, if you're a lifer musician and you're just like, like I've worked with, with guys that are just so 
you know, they show up, they do the job and there's zero emotion. There's zero ego. It's just like a very easy working environment, but there's, all, there's also musicians that are like, you know, you're, you're stereotypical artists. It's like in, incredibly temperamental. Um, and you have to maintain that, like that level of comfortability, comfortability and, um, and vibe, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah, for sure. So then, like, what do you ultimately see as the role of a producer then? Like, what does that entail for you? Obviously, the therapy side of it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's big. Um, I think, like, I mean, again, it's it's changed a bit over the years, but, like, I've almost, like, come back to where it used to be, where it was, like, there's a song, right, that, that exists. Um, how do we take that song like the skeleton of that song like forget about the any any sort of recording of the song but the actual song itself how do we make that the best possible thing it it could be um so sometimes that's again like i said maybe that's a lo-fi thing with very little elements um maybe that's like an incredibly techie high highly produced thing where everything's perfect maybe it's that i think it's it's the producer's job to know you know where it needs to be in its final stage um and that that would be like the the goal and then in order to make that happen yeah you have to have i think a lot of kinds of chops i think you need to be a, a decent musician um you need to know relatively decent amount i mean you don't have to be a crazy music theory person but i think you, you should know at least the basics or more or a bit above the basics um i mean a huge thing for me is is arrangement and harmony and that kind of stuff and i, I think you can't you can't get there if you don't know music pretty well um i mean i think all producers sort of came at, started as as musicians right so that would be a prerequisite i, I think um and then, yeah, I think basic, like, I think being really creative and hearing something be, and being so inspired by something that you can take that element and like, and just run with it and make it, you know, maybe it's a rhythm guitar that doesn't need to be creative. Like, I, I think my brain's in like a bunch of different places because I've been working on records that are like, just throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. And anything goes kind of thing and it's like whatever style that song is um let's go in that direction as far as we possibly can and like make it as good of that version as we can um but then there's also records that are like you know pretty standard just like rock records or pop punk records where it's like yeah you don't really have to go too far for it to do what it does best kind of thing mm -hmm. um but yeah i think that's a long-winded way of of just saying like you know, hearing a song and working with an artist and making that song and recording as good as it could possibly be sonically and emotionally. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, with the technology now, you can you can layer so many things and you can add so many elements. And I think that there's this tendency a lot of people have, especially when they're not working with the producer and, you know, they're the writer themselves, like they'll throw everything at it and like start stacking up keys or background vocals or whatever. And it's like, sometimes like the simplicity is actually the best, the best thing. So it's, it's, it's always hard to find mm -hmm. that balance of like, how far do you go with it? Or, you know, what really, like what really turns it into the best version of the song, I suppose. Right. Dude, I'm still, I am still 
finding that balance. Every every song, every project I do, it's like, you know, I'll listen to something that I did a year ago. I'll go, ah, it was probably too much I did. You know what I mean? And but but at the time, you're like, you know, there's certain projects where I'm like, I need to prove myself, or I feel like I need to prove myself or something. So I like put too much in, or I go, or I or, or I go like, you know, this this can't possibly be enough when it when it is. <laughs> But like my, in my head, I'm like, oh, it can't be this simple. Like, it's got to be more like they hired me to do, to, to do my stuff. You know what I mean? I can't just like, let it be this, but sometimes you can just let it be that, you know what I mean? Like, um, (laughs) I think it, it takes a certain amount of confidence and like confidence in yourself that like when you hear and, and like trust in yourself that when you hear something and you have that initial like gut reaction, it's like you know, that, that initial thought, maybe your initial thought is wrong, but a lot of the time you're like, you hear a song and you're like, I feel like this would be really cool. Just like with nothing on it, you know, a, a lead vocal or a doubled vocal and, you know, some doubled guitars and, and a, and a guitar lead and just like really make it like, feel like you're watching a band. Um, but then you have to have confidence too. that. Like, you know, I just worked with this band where like everything they've done beforehand has been very stripped down, not stripped down, but like, not overly produced at all pretty pretty organic pretty much like you're hearing the band in you know in a venue um and then i came in and i did their new their new record or the new couple new singles so far and um you know I, i went pretty far with the production while still trying to maintain it sounding like they're they're a band in a room you know which is what their fans love so it's like a big it's a big risk for me coming in and sort of like changing that up. Um, <laughs> and you, you just have to have confidence in, in the fact that that's what's best for the trajectory of the band. That's what's best for the song. That's what's best for the project. That's, you know, it's, it's just the the best thing that they need right now or that song needs right now. For sure. Well, it's also like you can feel the excitement in the room too, right? Like if you overproduce something, but the band's like really excited about it, then they're going to have the confidence to go on stage and play it that way and yeah. own it, you know? So it's like, if if that ultimately gave you the sound that got everyone excited, then who cares what it ended up being, you know? It, it's the exciting thing. Yes, exactly. And yeah, with that particular project, like, you know, I kept adding things, just like trying, because it was my first time working with the band. I just kept like trying little things and they kept being like super stoked on it. And they, I don't think they've ever done that kind of stuff before. And I was like, oh, I guess this is the direction that we're, we're taking it. Cause you always, you always feel it out in those little, those little moments where you just like try something. Right. Um, and, and you just sort of run with it. You know, there, there's little social cues, there's little, or, you know, maybe just a blatant, you know, somebody blatantly going now nah, that's, that's not the way that's not the, the direction we, we want to take it. So, um, but you can, you can feel it out pretty quick. I think. Totally. There's also something to be said, too, for when you record a band that has experience in the studio, they're also coming at it from a, they have their own experience and there's things that they like about that experience and things that they don't like. And that can also inform where you go with that project. Mm-hmm. If a band's like, oh, we hate the fact that it just sounded like so plain. then it's like, OK, cool. Well, let's let's build this up a little bit. You know, let's add these extra elements or something like that. Right. Yeah. And like for me, man, I mean, there's always a balance, like you were saying with in this in this case there's always a balance between like doing what the band in the moment thinks is the right thing but also like trusting yourself and being that that person that they hired and the whole team hired 
and being that that like professional objective listener to the the track um and and really strongly thinking you know this is sort of what we what we need to do and you know oftentimes the majority of times there's a everybody's either on the same page or you are on the same page mostly and then you just compromise the rest of the way and everybody's happy um every now and then there's like there's a tricky one where you're like oh man i feel so strongly that it should be one way in the ba- and the band or like one person in the band feels like it it so strongly needs to be another way um and i respect it all um you know that's that's what's great about music is like it's everybody gets gets emotionally connected to it in a different way um and i think it's a it's just a home run when everybody feels the same but yeah, I mean, like every everybody can hear something differently. So you just have to, you, you just have to sort of like feel that out and use your use your experience and your judgment to, to, you know, take it to where where it needs to be and make everybody happy. Because I never want, I never want a client. Um, now you feel make me feel weird about using the word client. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, but <clears throat> they all turn into friends. But uh, yeah, an artist that I work with, you know. Um, I never want them to leave a, leave the room and go, that was really annoying. Like it's my song and I, I really wanted to take it in a certain direction. And like that, this guy is just like, you know, so about this song and so about his way, because I mean, I've heard that about so many other producers when I work with an artist, they're like, oh yeah, he just kept wanting to push it in this, this direction. So we didn't want to work with him again. I've heard that so many times mm-hmm. constantly. I'm like, I never want to be that guy. I want to, I want to make that the musician so happy that they're like, and, and maybe you, you get to that point at a certain, certain point in the project, there, there's a crossroads and you're like, well, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing this differently, but let's, let's keep working at it until we're both happy because th- that's yeah. ultimately, th- that's going to happen at some point we're, unless it doesn't, but I, I want that to happen. Like, I think we both want that to happen. So let's keep working on it until we're both happy. And it's going to be even better than either, either of us imagine. That's what I want the end. If there ever is like a, you know, um, crossroads creatively, that's what I want us to overcome. kind of thing. I don't want to get to that crossroads. And then for one of us to just submit, you know, cause I mean, that happens too, but, um, I think the best music is created when everybody is like, wow, we overcame that a little bit of, um, you know, creative, I don't want to say disagreement, but I mean, I guess sometimes it is disagreement. Yeah. Indifference or something. Yeah. And just like once you overcome that and you find something better that everybody loves, like that's when I think magic is, is created. For sure. There's also something to be said too for like, it, maybe this doesn't apply as much for someone who's just getting started with their with running a studio, but the longer you do this, the more of a catalog you have that kind of is indicative of this of this types of music that you can work with. And if everything that you work on sounds very over the top, then someone who's looking to hire you is only going to hear that, and they're going to know very quickly if that's the sound that they want or not, right? And then if if you have like a more of a, a diverse portfolio, or maybe some of it is really simple and stripped down, and some of it is over the top, then I think that that shows that you're a little bit more flexible with like meeting the artist's 
like vision and, and working with a bunch of different styles of people. So um, yeah, obviously in the early stages, you don't have that portfolio there, but over time you'll develop that and you'll kind of make your sound known, I guess. And uh, you know, hopefully that weeds out some of the people that are the wrong fit for you to work with. Right. Yeah. I also think that's just, that's a sign of a good producer too. When you can, like I, like I was saying, like when you can hear something and go, that's just the best thing for this. I don't care what my personal preferences or, or my musical taste or background is or whatever, that's the best thing I can just, I can just hear it. Like that's, I think that's the sign of a good, of a good producer. Yeah. For um, sure. I can't remember who said it, but I want to say it was like, no, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to say who it was cause it's probably not them, but it, it was a quote from some producer um, who was like, you should, oh, maybe it was like Andrew Schatz or something. Anyways, <laughs> um, who I know you had on the podcast, which yeah. is really cool. Um, I love listening to him talk. Anyways, he's the best side, side note. Um, <laughs> yeah. The quote was like, you should pay a producer the same to do either nothing to the track or work tirelessly days and days and weeks and months on end to a track. And I'm paraphrasing of course, but I I think that the sentiment there is like, if the producer hears that the track is perfect the way it is, they should get the, the, the same amount of money for it because that's, that's their expertise. That's, that's knowing that, you know, they're, they're sort of the ones who, who, who sculpt that like final, um, final product of, you know, that you're, that you listen to. And, you know, I, I think if, if you have that experience as a producer, that, that should be the person that you trust to like barely touch it. And like a record that I just worked on, like the band is, they're such good producers, um, and so creative and like, often I'm like, geez, should these guys be like, you know, co-producers on the, on the, the record? Cause like, and they're just phenomenal and so creative and so out, outside the box thinking. And, um, and often I'm like, you know, learning things from, I mean, all the time I learn from everyone I work with, but this particular artist, I'm like, they'll, they'll send me demos. They'll send me like a, like a session file. And there's stuff in that, the session. I'm like, dude, these, these, this is really cool stuff that like I, I would, I would have done, or I wouldn't have done where I'm like, I, I wish I would have thought of that kind of thing. And I'll, and I'll just put them in the final session or like, I'll try to recreate it and it's just not the same. So we'll just use the, the thing that they made. And it's <laughs> like, you know, I think sometimes that's all it takes is just like taking what the artist made and just, ma- and just tweaking it, just making it a little bit better. But if it means scrapping the whole freaking thing and starting from scratch, maybe that's that's the answer too so yeah no i totally agree with that i I think i think you're absolutely right it's like you're hiring someone to really give you that third-party objective view of your of your song and help you like get it in the best way possible and if that's stripped down who cares if it's overproduced who cares you know it's it's just like whatever really gets you that ultimate best sound it's going to connect the most yeah so then ultimately for you how do you determine what makes a good song how do you know when that song has reached that point oh god loaded question <laughs> i mean that yeah that's so that is so subjective um i'm at the point where god i've, I've just been really busy over the past six months or so where like i haven't really had a whole lot of time to listen to a lot of mu- new music but I, I try to check out as much as i can 
and and there there haven't been a lot of of new artists or new records or new songs where I'm like blown away. And every time I hear something new that I'm absolutely blown away by and like really emotionally connected to, I try to like analyze why, you know, like why do I care so much about this? And I try to like bring that to the things I work on. Like what makes, what makes a song special? There's like Rick Beato does a thing about like what makes this song special on, on his YouTube. I think that's a really, I, I love that guy. He's awesome. He's great. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that's really important to know because people listen to, to music and they go, the majority of people, they just listen to a song and they go, yeah, I like that. They, they, it's like, it's like binary for a lot of people. It's like, I, I like this or that. I don't like this. <laughs> it's just like, that's what goes through people's head. Like I'm, I'm bobbing my head or I'm not. Um, and you know, you obviously put in so much work to get to that point and so many decisions and so many details and so long, you know, um, grinding over the smallest little, like a lyric or like a conjunction or like a, you know what I mean? Every, every little detail on a song for, for then a listener to go, yeah, this is cool. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, so every time, and that's honestly how I feel a lot of time. I'm like, yeah, this is fine. So every time I hear a song where I'm like, wow, this is phenomenal. I'm like, why? And I've never been a lyric guy, really. Like that's not, you know, a lot of people are inherently lyric uh, focused. Like even, even like normies, uh, as I like to call them, just normal music listeners. Um, a lot of people are like, like my mom, for instance, she listens to music that tells a story. Like that's her, and she doesn't even listen to country music, which is crazy. Uh, but she'll hear a song and she'll she'll go like, "What is it?" Like the, her generally her first thing whenever I show my parents a mix is like, oh, "I can't hear the vocals," because <laughs> um, they just want to like hear what the song is about. Especially my mom. My dad's definitely more. You know, he just likes music and likes rocking and likes whatever. But my my mom is is very much like, "What is it? Is it being? Is it an interesting story?" Is it a powerful story? Is it does it does it connect with me? Um, a lot of people are like that, especially a lot of hip hop fans. I mean, they like groove and, and rhythm and, and that kind of stuff, but they also like cool lyrics. And I've never really been like that, but over the past couple of years has been becoming more like a prominent thing when I listen to music. And it's never the first thing I hear, unless the lyrics are so ridiculously grabby and good that I hear it immediately. But generally I'll listen to a song like once or twice or three times or four times. And then like, I'll finally click. It'll click what the song is about. I'm like, Oh my God, that is so cool. that I finally, like I, I get it now. And then it, it really becomes, you become emotionally attached to it. Um, so yeah, that I think makes a, a, a good song. Um, if the, if the lyrics really, really grab you i think a lot of people don't care about lyrics a lot of he- like heavy music fans just just like rocking out just like angsty stuff and just like the the next heaviest thing of all time um and a lot of pop fans just love great melodies and just love to be able to dance you know people look different people look at different things when they listen to music and don't necessarily know why um you know they don't analyze what what they like about music like we do um they like i said they just like it or they don't so you know it's sometimes i have to put my 
I had to put myself in a normal person's shoes, like somebody who doesn't work in music, go, would, would, you know, whoever like this song, mm-hmm. would whoever dance to this song, whatever, like, and I, and I try to picture the band playing it live or the artist playing it live. And like, would people be moving? Would people be singing along? Other crowd moments? Um, you know, I think I've always been a, a melody guy from like really early on and like harmony and that kind of stuff. So I really love hooky stuff. Like I'm, that's always what I'm, what I'm trying to do with, with artists who, who I work with. Like if it's a co-writer, even if they bring in full songs, it's like, is this good? And is this song catchy enough? Is this good enough? And I'm not saying make it a pop song every time. I'm just saying like, there's gotta be some hook, whether it's a mm-hmm. pop hook or not, there's gotta be something that like makes the song special. Um, and that can be, man, that can be disguised in so many different ways. Like sometimes a hook is, is a baseline. Some, sometimes it's like a drum groove. Sometimes it's, it's a guitar hook. Um, I think it's like, it's about identifying what makes that song repeatable and, you know, it connecting with people. Of course. But yeah, I mean, that's, it's a pretty loaded question. Yeah, of course. <laughs> to be, there's so many different, there's so many different kinds of music. There's so many different like with this rock band I was, I was just working with where, you know, they're, they're very picky on they're they're amazing producers, but super picky on the direction of their songs and the specialness of each song. And their hooks come in all different shapes and sizes all over the record. It's like, yeah, some, some is a a vocal hook. Some is like, it's a man. It's, it's actually hard to describe. And they, I think what, what they do is like, they're trying to like change the way people listen to rock and not in like a pop way, you know, how a lot of rock bands just, just, just go pop. They're doing it in a way that they, they use fretless guitars. So they have, they have like an instrument that a not a lot of rock band or seemingly no rock bands, you know, it's, it's a tool that nobody has. So like, I guess you could use a slide. Um, but like they're, they're using riffs that like, no, you can't make on, on a normal guitar. So it's like, mm-hmm. they're thinking about, making rock music differently. And I think that's, that's where innovation and a change in genre really happens. You know, now we're seeing so much genre mixing and melding these days. And it's, and it's amazing because that's what, that's what needs to happen in music because then you just make the same song over and over again for a decade. You need to have those, like those collabs and that, and that like anything goes mentality. Like what's going to really make somebody go, Whoa, I got to listen to that again. Even if man, a lot of the time it's like an ironic, like you show your friend, like how ridiculous this song is because like, you know, as if they did this and then you start actually liking it, you know, I think that's how innovation happens. It's like something so different and so unique that it really starts to, to grab you. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. It's just, yeah, you're right. It's like, we've heard the same song over and over again. So whenever you hear something that has that different element to it, you can't help but be like interested in what, in what's going on. And it, 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 you know, it creates that like ear candy for lack of a better way of putting it to like, you know, you're, you're, you're yeah. just gravitate towards it and you're like, you want to hear more of it. it it's the hooky thing. Very yeah. Cool. Yeah. And that's like with, with like country music, like they've been doing basically the same thing for a really long time. It's just, it's sort of just gotten poppier. Um, but like recent, like real recently, there's all these country artists that are, are coming out now that are like very 
public publicly into rock like heavy rock music and they're mm-hmm. like influencing because there was that like hip-hop thing for a while where country and hip-hop would sort of go hand in hand and but now it's like rock like there are a lot of country artists that are like doing like putting pop punk or rock in their songs i'm like whoa that is really cool i mean obviously country and rock go hand in hand as well but like not really like true country is pretty pretty country um but yeah i think that man you just have to you have to experiment like that and there's always going to be people that are resistant to it and purists and just like that old that old thing yeah <laughs> but uh it's 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 funny though it's like i i've i've always felt that like i've never worked on a country record or mixed a country record but i've always really wanted to because i feel like with my background in rock and like the the type of like big full drums and all like the heavy hitting stuff like i feel like that yeah. would lend itself so well to a country record so yeah at some point if anyone's listening to this and wants to have me work on a country yeah. record, i'd love to do it right dude and and like country mixes are some of the best mixes on the planet i think like my i, I would say my current my favorite currently my favorite mixer is jeff braun um and he's like again like he's in the country world um but very much has like I, I'm pretty sure he has a rock background and like works with a lot of those bands that are like bordering rock music that like could go you know country fans will like them but also rock or like pop punk fans will will like them and like man the drum sounds are just phenomenal the vocal treatment is phenomenal everything about those mixes are just like pristine like Dan and Shay records I don't know if you've ever listened to Dan and Shay but they're just like yeah I love I love those guys you literally can't get a better mix. Sorry. You yeah, can't. I agree. I agree. It sounds perfect. It sounds pristine. Every element just fits in. And so many of those types of co- country where they're like sort of pop country rock a little bit, R and B. I mean, Dan Shea is definitely sort of bordering R and B. Um, everything is arranged. So that's, a, that's a big thing with mixing too. Um, that's a, actually a very underrated thing about mixing is the better the song is arranged, the better the mix will sound just in general because there's a place for things already. Like you don't have to do that work in mixing. It's, it's already arranged so that it, it mixes itself essentially. Yeah. It's built into the sound. Exactly. And I think that's why, like we're talking to our artists about artists that have really sort of changed the, you know, done something really unique. I think Billie Eilish is a perfect example of that where she, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pop music, but it's also like, man, that first record, I don't think I, she'll ever i mean i could be wrong and i hope i'm wrong but i I don't think she's going to top that first record that first record is just absolutely phenomenal and i think phineas is maybe the best producer on the planet um but with that record too like i watched a an interview with that mix and i can't remember his name now do you know his name mix that record can't think of it offhand no anyways i I watched him uh, an interview he did with with dave pensado and um he was essentially saying like I didn't do a whole lot on that record. Like they delivered the record almost how it sounds. Um, it was just arranged so perfectly. Every element was so perfectly placed and EQ'd and, you know, already there that I just needed to clean it up and find, you know, just, just enhance everything essentially. Um, which is what mixing should be. And often it's not often it's, Again, wearing a whole lot more hats than you should be, um, but that's just sort of what you have to do in this this day and age. But yeah, sorry, that's that's a sidebar thing. But <laughs> l- like I was saying, it's like 
I think if you can, as a producer and as a, as a musician, I guess when, when you can arrange a song in such a way that like you think about, you know, when you're writing parts, you actually think about the frequency space that they're taking. I think that that's only, that's literally a recent thing for me too. And I've been doing it for quite a while, but I'll think about like, you know, what makes a certain band's vocal feel like it's easier to mix. Like why female vocals, I think are easier to mix on rock music is because they're so much further away from like rhythm guitars than, than like a lower you know, like a lower tone male vocal is they sort of like are competing. And like a lot of people don't think about that kind of stuff. Um, and like, yeah. So I think when you have like a, a higher pitched vocal, it's just going to sit better um, unless it's like really shrill, but it like, you know, frequency wise, it'll just, it has its own place. So anyways, it's just, it's different. It's ways to look at things. You know what I mean? Um, when the, when you're early on in your career, you're just thinking of mixing as just like, EQing and compressing and making each element sound good and then putting them together. But really it's like, it's so much more than that. Of course. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, you know, I could tell just, just the way you've been talking, you're, you're so, you're super passionate about ultimately trying to serve the song in the best way possible. And, um, one thing that I was curious to, to learn a little bit more about is your co-writing. And I know that like, you're credited on a lot of records that you work on as a co-writer. And I think there's a lot of people that got into the production world because like you said, like they're musicians, they got into it to maybe record themselves, fell in love with the production side of it. And like, you know, now they're engineering or producing or whatever. But I think there's also a lot of people that they are almost intimidated to approach the topic of co-writing with people because like maybe they feel like it's stepping on someone's toes or something like that. Right. Um, yeah. so, so I'm curious to learn a little bit more about like how you normally go about approaching co-writes with an artist so that, you know, you're, because there's always that, that balance of like the producer versus the writer sometimes, you know? And, mm -hmm. and so like, how do you straddle that line so that it's not stepping on someone's toes and, you know, people are open to the, the idea of co-writing? Well, yeah, first of all, um, yeah, you nailed it when when you said that. I mean, essentially, there's like there's this stigma behind co-writing and rock, and I don't understand it. I, I there's I don't I don't know what it is about rock purists, rock fans that are so all about like the artist has to be. I mean, even even other fans. I mean, like pop fans too. Some feel the same where like the artist has to write the, the song, and it's like the song and the performance are very different things. You know, like there's so many amazing songs that didn't come from the performer, but that song wouldn't be that song without that writer. And that performance wouldn't be that performance without, without that artist and that face and that voice, mm. you know what I mean? And like, they're two different jobs and it's a bonus when they can be the same person. I think it's a bonus for some people where they can go, whoa, that, that person is really an artist. Like they can do it all kind of thing. Um, but there's this, this stigma behind rock and rock artists needing to write everything. Um, and I just don't understand it. Like, I, I just, I think like the more collaboration in music in general, the more special it can be, the more unique it can be. Um, and it's funny that I say that because that Billie Eilish record, there was zero collaboration. It was just her and her brother. <laughs> And that blows my mind. That's one of those moments where it's like, that's just... Just have the right people in the room. 
that's just incredible. Like that. I, I mean, I'll go, I think every time I've ever spoken publicly about music, I've talked about that, like that duo, just cause they're so, there's such an anomaly. Those, those Billy and Phineas, cause they were so young too. Like, how do you have that experience at such a young age? I'm pretty sure Phineas was like 21 or 20, 20 or 21 or 22 or something when he made that record. And it's like, how do you know all these <laughs> things to do? all these things to try or do them so perfectly at that young of an age. Anyways, that is again, a side note, but, uh, what was the question? <laughs> no, but you know, it's kind of interesting. Cause, cause I, I, I agree with you. Uh, you know, we we're talking about how you approach the, the topic of uh, co-writing with people, co-writing. But, but it's kind of interesting that you bring up that idea that like people think that it's all like the artist has to do everything. And I think part of that is just portrayed by like, you know, these days you see like Netflix documentaries on an artist and, you know, let's just say it was like Beyonce or whatever. Like the only shots of Beyonce you're going to see in the studio are her recording. You're not going to see the the yeah. shot of like the 17 writers working on a song, right? Because it yeah. takes away from the story about her. So like to some degree, like we've kind of been conditioned to like fantasize about this like artist being yeah. the, the superhero, mm -hmm. right? But I would love to watch a documentary of all those people writing those songs, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my God, me too. And there's, there are like those, those hidden gems about those too. Um, and a lot of people, um, a lot of people don't realize too in the, in the pop world and the hip hop world that if you do a very, very, very small amount on a song, you'll be listed as a writer or a producer. Like in the hip hop world, if you, there's a lot of like pitching beats and pitching guitar loops and that kind of stuff. And if let's, let's say I, I pitched a, just like a little guitar loop, eight bar guitar loop to my publisher and they sent it off to a bunch of artists and one particular hip hop artist was flipping through ideas, found that guitar loop and was like, I want to work on that song. Um, and then that song got released and it, and it, you know, they worked on it with another producer and, by the way, I, I would have no idea the whole time. Like they never tell you anything. They just go one day. They're like, Oh, Hey, by the way, your song was used in this thing and you got this much percent on it. Or is this okay? So that's a weird thing in, in itself. But, um, a lot of the times in those scenarios, um, you'll actually, if they, if they do use your song in, in generally in the hip hop world, and I don't know if it happens as much in the pop world, but you, you would be credited, credited as a producer as well. Um, even though you'll never, meet the artist you'll never be in the room for producing the song but because you essentially produced that loop and recorded that loop um you're not only a writer but you're also a producer on the song so a lot of people don't realize that like you know on those on those songs or those records that have like a million different writers like sometimes it's like very little amount that 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 writer did um you know maybe they it was like one little loop or whatever they came in or a lot of the times in those big sessions like in nashville um it's like an even split no matter who's in the room um even if they don't they barely do anything because the argument is you know if they weren't there maybe the song would have come out differently kind of thing so mm -hmm. yeah i think you know people just get caught up in seeing i mean there's i've seen people online go oh this this person is listed first as a writer on Spotify. So they, they have the biggest share when it's literally alphabetical order <laughs> and like people just don't know any better. So in the rock world, I really think it's important that, that people just need to be more okay with like fans and bands and artists just need to be 
more okay and more willing to collaborate and co-write because like, why not? Like, who cares? Mm-hmm. People just want to hear a cool song. And, and I think it's important, especially in rock, because there's a lot of really creative people in rock and a lot of bands wouldn't be who they are without those people in the band. And I think it's important that they, they have a big stamp of their own creativity on it. But I think there's things that co-writers, certain co-writers can bring to songs that, that the artist really needs, you know? Um, and I agree that, you know, sometimes bringing in a co-writer will, will not be the right move and will make the band too commercial or too, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I'm not, I don't really subscribe to that too much, but, um, every now and then there'll be an artist that'll just go like way to just lose all credibility kind of from that. But I also think it'll just take them. Sometimes it'll just take them where they need to go and, and really make them blow up and be a fantastic and just like learn. And even if you don't even use the song for the artist to have that experience working with an, a, a different writer or a better writer, um, you just learn, you like, you go, Oh, it's just it like unlocks new ways of thinking. Like every totally. artist I work with, I go, Oh, I could do, I never thought of it that way. I could, I could think of <laughs> writing a little bit more from that angle. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. It's like every time I work with a band, I feel like they leave the studio feeling like they learned more about themselves as musicians and they learn yeah, more about how to record. As they should. And, and it's like the songwriting is this like almost secretive process that no one wants to show how they did it. And I mean, it's it's hard to discuss how you come up with ideas, obviously, but like seeing it in action is is a different thing. You can actually learn a lot mm-hmm. from that process. And writing your, writing by yourself and writing with somebody that you really trust and you've always written with and then writing with a stranger stripping naked emotionally and and writing with a stranger it all of those things are very different very different processes and uh and i think when you haven't done a co-write before that is very shocking and very like uncomfortable but once you start doing it man it's just it's just so like streamlined and so creative and almost just feels like a it can feel like a day job in a good way. Like it can feel like, Oh, you just show up, write the best song you can and go home. Like sometimes those songs are the best ones. Sometimes a song where it was incredibly emotionally draining and, uh, took two, two years to write, or you wrote by yourself in two hours in your bedroom. Like it, it doesn't matter where they come from. All that matters is that it's good and it connects with people. Yeah. Um, but I think just people shouldn't be so afraid to to co-write. And I think a lot of, you know, every time a band signs to a, a bigger label, labels generally like their artists to co-write. Um, For sure. Because it just leads to things, you know? Maybe it doesn't, but maybe it does. You know, why not? So as far as that that line of, you know, being a producer versus being a co-writer, you know, part of being a producer is that you're going to occasionally come across an artist that maybe you know, they've overcomplicated the riff or whatever. And you're like, oh, let's try it this way. And you kind of help. That's them. all of them, by the way. Yeah, fair. <laughs> but you like, you know, you workshop these, you workshop these parts. And then like, I guess there's that, that line of like, well, is that now co-writing that you've like contributed that input or is it? Yes, I think it is. Okay. I, I do. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on how much and it depends on like what your relationship is with the band and what your, I guess your stock is um in the eyes of of the artist and the team behind the artist 
Um, but like, let's put it this way. I've gotten publishing for way less on stuff where I haven't gotten publishing for doing way more on other stuff. So does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Yep. Yeah. Like I've, I've done not a whole lot on certain projects and gotten or certain songs and gotten 10, 15% or whatever it is. Like maybe it's like I wrote a little guitar lead or whatever. And then some it's like I changed the main like hook of the song or the lyric of the song. And then they like made the album, the name of the song that I, <laughs> the title I just came up with. And then it won't be like, they'll, they'll be, you know, it'll be pulling teeth to get anything out of them. So it's always different. And it kind of sucks when, when artists are super like, uh, defensive because at the end of the day, like we, we did that together and like, you wouldn't have had that hook if it wasn't for my contributions to it. Um, or you wouldn't have had those guitar leads that really made that chorus soar, whatever it is, you know what I mean? So I think it's, and that's just a sign of an experience. Yeah. Like that's what it comes down to. I feel, I feel like the more experienced the artist, the, the less problems you have in that. Like, it's just, you cool with this and they go, yeah. And that's, that's the end of the conversation. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so then are you having conversations before you work with an artist about like, Hey, if I'm contributing stuff, it's co-writing it's it's considered co-writing or like like how does that work cuz i imagine that if you're like okay here, try out this cool lead and they're like oh that's that's the shit like we're we're keeping that in there and then you're like okay cool just so you know if you're going to use this i'm getting a percentage you know what i mean like maybe it's no, not that, that lot of a conversation that would, that would right? be the biggest vibe kill <laughs> yeah <laughs> no that would be that would be a big vibe kill um i think it's just like unfortunately it's sort of just like a goes without saying kind of thing and sometimes you do have those like annoying conversations after the fact, but most people are on the same page, especially when there's a big team behind a, an artist. They, everybody knows how it goes. If you're in a label or, or you're in a management team or whatever, they know how, how writing goes and everybody's sort of like, and they obviously they weren't in the room, but it's, yeah, it's a pretty standard thing. I feel like that's the area where a lot of people listening to this would have a hard time. Like, you know, it's like I did contribute something. I probably should get a percentage, but like, am I just waiting for them to uh, to show up on like my SoCan checks or something like that? You know, <laughs> like probably not. No, I know. And the writing, oh man, those, the writing world, the publishing world is is a really hard thing to understand because I um and I'm still trying to understand it. It's something that like you don't you aren't really taught ever, and that's really unfortunate. Um, you aren't taught at least in the, uh, in the capacity that you should be. And I think like knowing where your money comes from is like, that's like number one, like you, you have to not number one, but it's like, it's definitely up there. If you don't know what sound, sound exchange is and what your IPO is and how to submit songs, uh, and shares for the songs and how to collect the money from those different companies and, um, and what they even all mean. Like, it's really hard to ever get paid, you know? Um, and I think that's where if you have a publishing deal or, or at least an admin deal like that takes the weight off your shoulders. Um, but before then, like I, you know, it was a long time before I, I had all that stuff and yeah, I wasn't submitting anything properly and I wasn't getting paid for anything. And granted out, you know, those songs weren't making a whole lot, but like, 
once you see that first check come in from like i think my first socan check was four dollars and what even though it's such a small amount they also send you this like plaque it's kind of funny <laughs> i'm definitely going to put it on the wall one day but uh once you see that first bit of money that come in that comes in from literally doing nothing even if it's four dollars it's like a really cool f- feeling and it like really lights lights a fire under your ass because you're like whoa this is th- that was just passive income i know it's four dollars but that four dollars could be a hundred dollars next quarter and then four hundred dollars next quarter and then a thousand dollars next quarter and um you know if all goes right i guess but uh it's it's one of those things that like it really makes you want to understand it once you just see that first check and go, I need to make sure that all my um, I's are dotted and my T's are crossed in order to actually get paid from the right places here. Um, and again, it's just, so, it's a full-time job, like knowing where all that stuff comes from and like, and making sure it's done properly. And so many labels and publishers and managers don't do it properly so then it's like up to you to like make sure it's not dude i've i haven't seen stuff come up on my socan that has been out for a year and that's and that's with a team behind Mm me so it's like if you're listening to this and you have like trouble with that kind of stuff i feel for you and like i have even friends of mine who like i often work on co-writes with or like all you know we'll do pitch songs or whatever but he doesn't you know he doesn't really work in music but he's like an amazing amazing writer and musician so i always try to work with him um but it's the same thing for him he's like i you know he hasn't seen anything because he's just he doesn't have that one he doesn't have that team behind him and two he doesn't have the time or expertise to you know figure that out and actually make sure he make make sure he gets paid from those places so yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's not an easy answer to like, um, anything publishing related is, it is, it's pretty tricky and it'll just come over time. And it's, it's all about just like doing it more and more. And the more like the bigger cuts, or I guess I would say the the more cuts you get with like bigger artists who have more of a team behind them, the more you'll like learn about the publishing world and the admin world and like actually where that money comes from and like seeing it being done properly and that kind of thing. So, um, but yeah. And, and in terms of the conversation with the artists, again, it's, it's sort of similar. It's just like a feeling out thing. Um, in my deal memo that I send out before, like if it's a, if it's for a project I'm producing, if it's a co, if it's like a strict co, write, like we're all getting in a room and just writing a song and it doesn't have anything to do with producing. That's like, goes without saying everybody deserves it's either an even split or it's like it's usually an even split yeah and in some places people just walk in with like a forum being like okay here's our splits you know like let's talk about this before we start kind of thing like yeah and sometimes an artist will bring in a full almost a full song or like a verse chorus and then you just finish it with them you do you write it like a second verse and a ridge and then you change some chorus stuff rewrite whatever and then I, i don't really think that's warranted for an even split because the artist really came up with the majority of you know the essence of the song um so maybe you should get a little bit less unless you like really strip it down and you like start 
you know, rewriting everything. But you could also make the argument that if the hook is in like one of those extra things that you add, then maybe that is worth the even split, you know? So- exactly. Exactly. It's, it's all, it's all, uh, subjective with that certain situation. But, um, if it's like, you know, they, they bring in like a verse chorus and then that doesn't really change. I think that's the essence of the song yeah, for sure. But anyways, every situation is different, but, uh, yeah, again, it's just like you, you have to feel it out. It's always about feeling it out. And um sometimes I'll I'll write a little guitar lead and or I'll and often, I mean, with the stuff I'm I'm producing, like I just play it too. Like I'll I'll just be sitting down with the I'll just say, Hey, can I just see the guitar for a sec? I I just have an idea. And I'll try something and they'll go, Oh, that's great. And they'll just go, just record it. And then I'll just play it. And then like I'm I'm a pretty hands-on producer when it comes to that kind of stuff. So obviously, I, I mean, a lot of the time I'll sing stuff too, like backing vocals or whatever, even like, and I've even mixed records where I felt like they were underproduced, by the way, this is not great advice for anyone, but like, it, again, it's all about feeling out. And it's all about like, if you deliver, if you, if you get a, this is what happened to me. I got a session and um, I, I just heard that I, I just sort of felt like there was things that it could have had. And that is definitely stepping on the producer's toes and you don't want that. But I had a pretty good, I have a, I have a good relationship with the, the producer and the band. And I was like, Hey, I just like heard some things I just want to try. And if you don't like them, please feel free to not use them. No, not offended at all, but just, just hear it out if you don't mind. And they're like, sure. And I added harmonies. I added some, uh, guitar stuff, some production stuff. And they were like, wow, that's all awesome. Just do more of that. So as the record went, <laughs> as I started mixing the record, I just added more and more of what I heard as a producer. And by the end, they gave me a co-producer credit. And that just, sometimes that's just what happens. Like you just, but again, it's like you you can feel out when that's not cool. Of course. You know, Yeah. often I'll throw a tambourine or something in a mix and, they don't even notice or I'll be like, Oh, by the way, I just threw a little tambourine in there. I feel like it gave the chorus a lift. That's again, that's not a job of a, a mixer, but like I've watched some TLA stuff, some Tom Lord algae stuff where he's like, he would do stuff like that too. And he'll, he'll sort of dive into production on a mix when that's not his job, but it'll make it sound better. And like as a mixer, like, yeah, maybe that's not your job, but you just made it sound better. So like, can you argue with that? I don't know. Is it subjective? Yeah. The whole team's job is to make it sound as best as it can, no matter what stage it's at. And what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to be like, can you take that out? And you can say, yeah, (laughs) sure. (laughs) I don't know. It's just, it's worth a shot. You know what I mean? As long as you do it diplomatically and you, and you check with the band first and just say like, as a producer, I just heard a couple things that, you know, I, I think that will lift the song and make it better. Again, if you don't like it, scrap it but you know just hear it out kind of thing i think it's always might as well take a shot for sure yeah i mean it's you just have to have those open lines of communication i think no matter Mm -hmm. what you're doing and uh, i think as long as you have those then the conversations about uh songwriting credits or um about what you can and can't add to a production all that kind of stuff is it's just like it's easy to have when you just have open lines of communication you just have to have them and then then you're not ruffling anyone's feathers and you know crossing the line that you shouldn't be right so yeah, exactly. I mean, making music is a very um, intimate thing and like often egotistical, not in like a bad 
bad way, but obviously there's ego in art and, you know, people get defensive with, you know, what they think that they are deserved. And often that's, that comes from an inexperience, but like when you're, when you're working with people who are pretty level-headed and, and experienced and generally not a hard conversation to have mm-hmm. every, cause you've been there. Everybody knows you have to have the conversation at some point and everybody knows that they think they deserve something. So yeah, I think of course there's going to be a bit of a stigma behind it, but I think, you know, it, it should just be thought about. I think you, you should have a little bit more as a writer or producer, you should have the confidence to go. I think this is, this is what I'm deserved, obviously di- diplomatically, but I think this is what I'm deserved. Um, but also feel out the, you know, read the room mm-hmm. and read the room. If there's like, um, you know, that there's a longer, re- a potential relationship that like, do you want a bigger split on this song and potentially not a longer relationship with the artist? Or do you want to just take the, a bit of a hit on this song? and keep the artist happy and work with them longer. Sometimes you have to make that judgment call. Fair. Yeah. Or some, sometimes it's both. I don't know. Yeah. No, there's definitely, uh, there's definitely a bit of a, I mean, strategy is maybe not the right word for it, but you know, you have to. No, I think there is. Sometimes there is. Yeah. Fair. I guess, I guess it's like, it's interesting though, because like the more we talk about this, I also feel like the more it kind of blurs the lines a little bit between the role of the producer and the role of uh, a co-writer. I mean, obviously if you're, if you're a dedicated co-writer, then you're like, you know, you're coming in just specifically to write songs, but the producer definitely does have that co-writing ability, I guess, to it. Right. That's always going to be a blurred line. And I think then it comes down to, unfortunately, sometimes it comes down like le- to legal terms. Like, what is writing a song? Mm-hmm. It comes down to melody, chord structure, chord progression, and lyrics. So that's like the the foundation of writing a song. So if you've had influence on changing lyrics, if you've had an influence on changing melody, especially like a hook, or if you've had if you've changed any chords around, you should be getting some sort of publishing. And I've had projects where I have absolutely changed all three of those things. And it was a battle getting any publishing and I didn't get any publishing and that really sucked. And I won't work with that artist again, but, um, but that's legally what writing a song is. So, um, and then there's, but then there's like a blurred line of like you saying, Oh, this line's definitely got to change. And then you sort of collab with the artist about, you know, changing that line and you sort of like throw some ideas back to get uh, back and forth and then they come up with a better line. So they've written that line. Yeah. You haven't really written anything. You're kind of the coach in that sense. Yeah. You haven't really written anything yet. You were, you were the one who challenged that line and then came up with something better or made it so that there was something better. So yeah, maybe that's more of a producer role, but like definitely some could argue that, that you were a collaboration in writing that line. So dude, I'm not, I'm not a music lawyer and I will absolutely <laughs> never be a music lawyer. And cause again, that is like, that's a very subjective thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, luckily 9.9 times out of 10, that kind of stuff doesn't happen. It's generally just like, you cool with this? And then sometimes it's a little low and I'm like, oh, I would, I think probably if I could get a little bit more, it'd be awesome. They go, sure. Yeah. That's like the extent of most conversations. 
That's cool. I like that. No, I, and yeah. I think I think it's just an important conversation to have. And to be honest, it's not something we've talked about on the podcast before because. Um, but I, I think it's important because there's a lot of people that feel that way about their work. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, I'm putting in all this effort to make the sound the absolute best I can. And, you know, I'm not getting any credit for it other than maybe a, a producer tag or something like that. But it's like, uh, there's, there probably should be some back end stuff. And I think it's important to have these conversations and see, like, learn more about how people are approaching these kind of conversations and, and, uh, getting compensated fairly for it. Yeah. And it also, it goes both ways too. Like some musicians are too generous. And I think that, you know, I just worked with an artist who was like, came in with the whole record written and yeah, we changed a lot of stuff, but like, are you cool with like 50, 50 on the whole record? And I was like, what are you talking about, dude? I didn't write (laughs) half of these songs. Like you can take more than that. Like I'm, I don't like some people will be like, oh yeah, sure. I'll take 50. But like, I want him to do well and I want him to feel like he you know, reaps the benefit of, of writing those songs. And I think like looking at the process, taking yourself out of the process and almost looking at, looking at the, the sessions from like a bird's eye view, um, is like a better way to look at it, you know, like taking ego fully ego out of it and just thinking like, well, who actually did what contribute what? And I think if everybody looks at it that way, it should be pretty um, agreeable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But a lot of people go, well, I did this and I, you know, it's all I, you know? Um, so I think if you can look at it, like, unfortunately you look at it like illegally, um, and more, more objectively, I think it should, should be a pretty, pretty easy thing to, to work around. But again, it's one of those things where just do it more and more and more, and you'll just, you'll feel it out. It's, it's, it's a hard thing to, to have rules about unfortunately for sure yeah and i guess you know that's the argument for hiring a producer is that that person's job is to help you you know refine the song as best as it can otherwise you just hire an yeah. engineer who can just hit record and, and record your songs as they are yeah. and, and that's it so yeah man dude this has been a really interesting conversation i really like this you know i think it's it all really comes down to ultimately just serving the song as best as it can be and you know taking the time to collaborate with other people, try ideas out, see what sounds best. And yeah. however that looks, whether it's a stripped down thing or really over the top or, you know, whether five people wrote the song or one person wrote it, whatever, whatever it looks like in the end, it doesn't matter as long as it's the best version of the song. So um, I think it's been really interesting to learn more about your process and how you handle everything. And um, it's, this has been fun, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. This is, I mean, I love having these conversations and like, you know, one, one thing to, that goes along with what you were just saying, I think what sums up this whole conversation is, uh, it's a bit of a, advice that I, I live by. I try to always think about is the only thing that matters is what comes out of the speakers. I always, always think about that. I don't care how we got there. I don't care who wrote the song. I don't care who played the parts. And a lot of time the music musician does, but in my eyes, the only thing that matters is what comes out of the speakers because that's what people are. That's what normal people want. That's, that's what they're listening to. Yeah. I think that's, that's can sum up most of that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Right on, man. But yeah, I, I appreciate you having me on and uh, I love, love conversations like this. So it's perfect. Thank you. If people want to learn more about you or maybe even potentially work with you, what's the best way for them to do that? To learn more about me, I guess you could, um, 
use the old Google or, uh, or Instagram. Um, I, I post pretty much everything I, I work on, on my Instagram, either story or, or post or whatever. Um, Twi- I don't really use Twitter. I mean, I'm on Twitter, but I don't really use it. It's a very toxic place. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And my website, I guess I don't really update that quite as frequently, but yeah, Instagram is probably the best way. Um, and like, if they want to get in touch, like you could always shoot me a DM on, on Instagram or generally like my management, um, would just shoot him an email that's listed on, on my socials and stuff. So, um, but yeah, that's pretty much it, dude. Awesome. Thanks, man. So that was my conversation with Anton DeLost, and I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed getting into the topic of uh, discussing royalty splits with artists and co-writing with them and how the role of the producer often creeps into the role of a co-writer and making sure that you know everyone who's working on the project ultimately gets compensated fairly and that people treat the projects like it's a collaboration and it's not just like a, a one-person party, you know? And I think it's refreshing that Anton talked about that. I think it's something that most people don't want to get into. Most people don't want to have the awkward money talk, but it's something that's so important to your career. And ultimately, even if you had a small percentage of a song and that song went massive, it could be a major game changer for your career. So it's important to be able to have these kind of conversations with artists so that everyone is on the same page, we're all working together, And ultimately, that's kind of what it's all about, right? If you're going to hire people to work on your project, if you're going to hire an engineer or producer or whatever, you're hiring those people because at the end of the day, you want your song to be the best way it can sound. And you want to hire the right team to help you get there. You know, why settle for something that's mediocre? You're hiring people because they have expertise and they can elevate your music. And that is a big reason why people hire a producer or hire an engineer, that kind of thing. So, yeah. I think once people realize that the goal of this is just to make sure that your music gets showcased in the best way possible, I think that doing things like co-writes and splitting on royalties and all that kind of stuff, I think all of that makes sense at that point. So yeah, I thought that was really fun. I really enjoyed having that conversation, and I hope that you learned a lot from it. I certainly did myself, and it's got me thinking about how I want to approach working with artists and how I want to handle the topic of royalty discussions and that kind of thing. Um, You know, again, it's not always the easiest conversation to have, but it's important to have that when you are contributing a big part of or even a small part of a record. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. That way you're notified about new episodes as they go live each and every Wednesday morning. That way you don't miss out on more of these kind of conversations. And if you're looking for help on creating pro-sounding recordings from your home studio, make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com. That is a website where I have tons of great resources designed to help make the process of recording, editing, and mixing your music easy. And one resource that I want to point you to is my book. It's called The Mixing Mindset. In that book, I break down the process of mixing step-by-step so that you know exactly what steps to take throughout the entire process. That is available at MasterYourMix.com. Or if you're looking for more in-depth coaching, if you're looking to have someone listen to your songs and provide you with feedback on what's needed to elevate them to the next level, or What's needed to optimize your process so that you know exactly how to mix properly or how to record properly or what steps to take to streamline your process so you can work faster and smarter. If you're looking for that kind of help, then I want to tell you about my coaching program. It's called Amplitude. Amplitude is where I will work one-on-one with you. We have up to daily conversations where you can send me your tracks, ask questions, uh, get personalized feedback to make sure that you're taking the right steps throughout your entire process. If you're ever feeling stuck, if you're not sure what to do, 
Amplitude will help get you the answers. So if you're interested in learning more about that and getting that one-on-one help, make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com forward slash Amplitude. All right, so with that said, we have now reached the end of this episode. Thank you so much for sticking around to the very end, and I can't wait to chat with you in the next one. Talk soon. Later. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at MasterYourMix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com.